Well, good morning. We want to welcome everyone. It's great to be together. We want to welcome all of our campuses joining us and those joining us online as well. Here at the South Hills campus in Robinson and in Wilkinsburg, we've had a great, great week of Vacation Bible School. Excited to do that in the coming weeks in uh, Washington, in Ross Traver, and in DeBerry. And you heard that there were many kids who trusted in Christ uh, here at Vacation Bible School. And we want you to know that we take that very, very seriously many times when we do baptisms. And by the way, the next baptism is coming up the last weekend of July. We hope many of you are involved in that. But we will hear kids being baptized. Now they're teenagers being baptized. And they'll talk about trusting in Jesus Christ at Vacation Bible School. So that's very exciting. And we take that very seriously. And we want you to know we follow up with these kids. There are sometimes we know that a child may raise their hand because their friend raised their hand. We get that. And so we follow up. We send letters to parents. We send ways to present the gospel. We follow up in Sunday school. And again, discipleship is right on the heels of evangelism or always should be. So we take that very, very seriously. We also, every year at Vacation Bible School, kind of sponsor a, a, a missionary. And if we can, we get them here. We were able to do that this year with uh, Louise and Nadelka uh, Kano from Panama. Uh, they're going to be with us live in the uh, second service. And at 1230, there's going to be a luncheon for them and an opportunity for you to interact with them and to hear uh, their story and, and to see what they're doing. They are the real deal in Panama. If you've gone on a trip, if you're sending your kids, Louise and Adelco have been with Word of Life in Panama for about 12 years. When we first started Anna Panama and we were bringing some kids in from the Metro Amiga uh, orphanage, there were two girls and uh, they adopted those girls, they fostered those girls. There's two girls are in the middle, or orphans from Metro Amigo, and they have brought them into their family and they're raising those girls. I mean, again, the amazing things they do. Now, here's what I want to tell you. They're not here. I'm going to say this in second service as well. Most missionaries around the world uh, get their support from a couple countries, the United States being one of those. And the Kanos are about 55% of what they what they need, what they would, their target for, for their funding. Now just think about it. If you went to work on Monday and your boss said, hey, you're doing a great job, man. You're doing a fantastic job, but I just got to tell you, we're going to cut you down to about 55%. How would, how, how would you respond to that? And that's how they live. We were with them last night and they said, you know, God's providing, God always provides. And he does, and he provides through us. We, uh, we um, support them as a church. And we continue to do that. And, uh, you know, there's always opportunities to give. There's giving opportunities to give here. You can see we're down a little bit during the summer, and so we need you to give there as you are giving. But if God will lay it on your heart to go to that meeting today and support the, the Canos, um, well, let's just uh, leave that to him. Uh, but uh, if you would be encouraged to do that, here's a, here's a missionary couple that has a need does a great job with our kids, and we could really help them out. So be praying about that, all right, for the Canis. Father, thank you for the opportunity uh, to be here today. Thank you, Lord, for the time that we can sing and worship you uh, with the gift of music. We thank you, Father, that you're a God who loves us and cares about us. We thank you for the things you've done in Vacation Bible School this week, that you have 
you have grabbed, truly grabbed, the hearts of, of many uh, young kids. And Lord, we pray that you would, that, that, that we and parents and, and the church would be able to walk alongside them and, and help them to grow in their walk with you. We pray, Father, that you'd be with us today as we talk about a subject uh, that hits us all at some time or another, in some way or another. And we pray, Lord, that you would speak to us. You, you, you know exactly what's going on in our life. We can hide it from others. We can never hide it from you. We are open and bare before you. And so, Lord, work in our hearts. Don't let us leave here uh, as the same, in the same way we came. Lord, do, do, do your work. Uh, we pray today uh, in our hearts. In Christ's name, amen. Okay, so they're called the seven deadly sins. You ever heard of those? Some of them, some people call them the capital vices or others the, the cardinal sins. And I'm going to go through these. I know none of us struggle with any of these, but let's just, uh, just, just to humor us, let's just go through these. Seven deadly sins, pride, greed, lust, envy, gluttony, anger, laziness. Which of these sins do you think is the most fun? Ever thought of that? Here's what one theologian says. Of the seven deadly sins, anger is possibly the most fun. To lick your wounds, to smack your lips over grievances long past, to roll over your tongue at the prospect of bitter confrontations still to come, to savor to the last toothsome morsel both the pain you are given and the pain you are giving back in many ways is a feast fit for a king. The chief drawback is that you are wolfing down yourself. The skeleton at the feast is you. One thing for sure, if we don't control anger, what? Anger controls us. Take your Bibles and turn to the book of Proverbs. We're studying uh, through this book in the Old Testament written by King Solomon, the third king of Israel. He reigned from about 971 B.C. to 931 B.C., 40-year reign in Israel. And when he was reigning, gold and silver in Israel was as common as stones. It was a highlight in Israel's history. Some great things were going on. And Solomon, said to be the wisest man in Scripture, said to be the wisest man who ever lived, was dispensing his wisdom to those in his kingdom. And Solomon wrote this book specifically for the next generation. He wrote it to parents to teach their children. This is a divinely inspired parenting textbook. These are the things as parents we need to be doing, showing, and teaching, telling our children. That's why he says he wrote it in the purpose from the very beginning. 
Now, to be sure, there was a lot of wisdom literature in Solomon's time. In ancient times, the Egyptians had their wise men, and the Mesopotamians, they had their wise men. And all the countries of the world had their wise people, and there were wisdom literature all over the place. Still in history today, we see it, but there was a distinguishing factor in Solomon's wisdom literature in what we call the Proverbs. And Solomon tells us in chapter 1, verse 7, and then in chapter 9, verse 10, that the distinguishing factor of his Proverbs is what? It's God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's where it starts. The fear of the Lord, not a cowering fear, but an awe and respect and a love for God. That's the capstone of true wisdom. So if we drew a picture of the book of, Saul, of uh, Proverbs, it looks something like this. It all starts out, sorry, I can't erase. Uh, it all starts out with God, right? He is the beginning of wisdom. And when you see the word God in Proverbs, it's the word Yahweh. It's always translated Lord with all caps. And Yahweh is that covenant God. He's that God of relationship. He's that God who cares for us. He's that God who loves us. That's the God Solomon is talking about. And he presents two people. The first person is the wicked person. This is the one who rejects God. They have nothing to do with God. They don't love God. They don't care to know God. They're going to live their life the way they want to. And in the book of Proverbs, this person is described as a fool. There's also another person. This person is called righteous. This is the person who fears God, who loves God, who has an awe for God, a respect for God, who, who wants to worship God with all of their lives, and this person is called wise. Now again, in Proverbs, we have this word, righteousness, and we need to break that down because righteousness has two parts. There's the position of righteousness and the practice of righteousness. So our position, when we've trusted in Jesus Christ alone as the only way to have a relationship with the living God, we have the position of righteousness. We have a right standing before God. Nothing can ever change that. We have a right standing before God because of Jesus, not because of what we have done, but because of what Jesus did for us and our trust in him. Right standing before God. Now, as those who have a right standing before God, we want to practice that. We want to put it into application. We want to put it into our daily lives. That's the practice of righteousness. That's doing the right things. We could call that, in one word, obedience. And that's what the book of Proverbs is about. Rubber meets the road. Everyday wisdom for everyday life. Solomon is not talking so much about our right standing before God. He's assuming that. He is saying, here's how you live out this life that God has given you. And so he, he talks about all the practical stuff that we need to do and teach our kids the fear of the Lord. We've talked about pride. We've talked about resources. We've talked about true friendship. What's a true friend? We've talked about sexuality. And today, we want to consider this emotion that if not handled correctly, can eat us alive. Now, to be clear, anger is not always a bad emotion. Let me give you some examples. 
Exodus chapter 32, Moses goes up and gets the law, right? Remember the story? He goes up and gets the law. He comes back down. He hears the people in revelry. They are laughing. They are dancing. They're doing things they shouldn't do. And Moses is so angry that he takes these tablets, the ones God has written on, and he takes them and he throws them to the ground. And Exodus chapter 32, verse 25, Moses saw that the people were running wild and that Aaron had let them get out of control and so become a laughingstock to their enemies. Our emotions should be stirred when God's people do something that allow others to laugh at God, to say, are you serious? That person says they're a believer and they're doing that? Now, you notice that Moses didn't come down and see pagans doing that and throw the tablets down. He would expect pagans to do that. You would expect those who don't love God to do those things. But believers, that's different. There should be an emotion that rises when that happens. Nehemiah, he got angry when he saw some of the wealthy Jews taking advantage of the poor Jews and actually selling them into slavery. In uh, Nehemiah chapter 5, uh, verse 6, when I saw their outcry in these charges, I was very angry. That word means to burn with anger. Nehemiah didn't sin, but he was angry. He was passionate, and he took care of the problem. Now, we can't fix every injustice in the world, but if it's in front of us and we show no emotion to that, then something's wrong. Here's one more example. Mark chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Again, Jesus entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand, and they watched Jesus to see whether the, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, watched Jesus to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath, and so that they may accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And, and he said to them, Is it lawful? Jesus said to the religious leaders, Is it lawful? on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or kill, but they were silent, and check this out, and he looked around at them with what? Anger. So Jesus, he was grieved at the hardness of their hearts. Jesus looked at them with anger. Now, Jesus never sinned, so you can be angry in the right way and not Sin, when Jesus saw these religious people who cared more about legalism than healing a person, when people are being kept from the faith, when people are hardened in their heart, when people are imprisoned by legalism, when people are lulled into a spiritual stupor by an insipid message, when someone says, I went to church all my life and never heard the gospel, or when the gospel is perverted, or when the gospel is ignored, or when the gospel is misused, we should be upset. Those are the things should up, that should upset us, not all the stuff on Fox News, but the things that count for eternity. Is there a good anger? Well, Paul says this, Ephesians 5, 26 and 27, be angry about the right stuff, but don't sin. But don't sin and don't let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. A lot of times we say, well, yeah, if you're angry with someone, you don't go to bed before you make amends with them, right? That's not what that means. I believe it means get passionate about something. Get passionate about the right things. Don't sin. But get passionate about the right things and do something about it. Do what God's called you to do. 
So there's a positive side of anger, right? But that's not what Solomon's going to teach us about today. Solomon is not addressing what we sometimes call righteous indignation. Solomon is addressing the dark side of anger. He is addressing the door-slamming, fist-pounding, verbal, tirade type of anger when we express it. Or, and, he's addressing the targeted anger. You know what targeted anger is? I'm not going to be angry at work because I wouldn't want my boss to see me. I'm not going to be angry at church because it might mess up my halo a little bit and God forbid that that would happen. So I'll target it people at home, husband or wife or kids, targeted anger. And then there's suppressed anger. Suppressed anger just is at boiling inside. It comes out at some point, but it shows up in envy and jealousy and bitterness and resentment. Anger is always fathered by pride. I have been hurt. I have been wronged. I have been insulted, I've been slighted, and I'm angry. And I'm going to get back. I'm going to do something. Proverbs 18, 19 says this, A brother offended is more unyielding than a strong city, and quarreling is like the bars of a gate, bars of a castle. There are some, there are some people who, if they're offended... It's like they're more unyielding than a fortified, strong city with big walls. They, are, they, are, they quarrel and they cause strife and, and, and they are like a bars of a castle, like the, like the big iron gates of a castle. You can't get it down. When they're offended, that's it. Now, Scripture has a lot of words that are translated anger. Some of them mean, one means to foam at the mouth. One means indignation. One means a storming rage. One means heat or fury. One means to burn with anger. But you know what the, you know what the most common Hebrew word for anger is in the Old Testament? Anyone have an idea? It's the same word for nose. Af. Nose or nostrils, or facial expressions. The Hebrew language is very picturesque. And so when someone is angry, their face sets, right? Their nostrils flare. Like this guy here. He is angry. See his nostrils? How they're flaring? Like this little girl here. I mean, who teaches kids that, right? And nostrils flare, nose. Like this little boy here. Look at this. What happens to our nose when we do that? Flaring out. These were kids from vacation Bible school, actually. Uh, nah, just kidding. These are not our kids. These are not chapel kids. We've got these pictures from another, another church. But uh, <laughs> nostrils flaring, aff, nose. As ugly as it is on the outside, Man, we all know how ugly it is on the inside, don't we? A boiling in our heart when anger gets the best of us. So what I want to do is, first of all, I want to consider 
three aspects, three characteristics of, of anger that Solomon tells us, three characteristics, and then we're going to look at several points of application. So let's start with the characteristics. Number one, anger acts out. Some point or another, anger acts out. A quick temper describes a person who flies off the handle. Proverbs 14, 17. A man of quick temper. Again, by the way, man is generic, men and women. A person of quick temper acts foolishly. A man of evil devices is hated. Quick temper acts foolishly, flies off the handle at a moment's notice. Don't control their emotions. Say and do. When we're angry, we say and do ridiculous things, don't we? Stupid things that we later regret. A word we deliver that we wish we could get back. An emotion that spills out on others. Problem is you can't undo what you've done. Proverbs 14, 29 says, He who has a hasty temper exalts folly. I love that, that um, construction there. Exalts folly means he exalts folly. He, he, he puts folly out to full measure. He is reckless, he is foolish, he does irrational things at the full notice of everyone around him or her. The actions of one with a hasty temper are rash, they're regrettable, and even when it's suppressed, sooner or later it just spews out on everyone. Anger acts out. Secondly, anger keeps the emotional pot stirred keeps the emotional pot stirred. Look at Proverbs chapter 15, uh, verse 18. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, always sowing dissension among friends, always an issue. You know those people, right? There's always an issue. If it's not with the person, it's with the company. If it's not with the company, it's with the government. If it's not with the government, it's with somebody else. Always has an issue not satisfied if there's not some type of friction moving in their heart, always in conflict. And social media allows that, doesn't it? If you weren't angry, just look through your Facebook page and then you're going to be angry. <laughs> always unhappy. A hot-tempered person likes to keep others agitated. And when you hang around a person like that, you get dragged into their emotions. Proverbs 29, 22, a man of wrath stirs up strife, and one given to anger causes much transgressions. Get that? Causes much transgressions. Here's the third one. Anger acts out, keeps emotional pots stirred. Anger lacks self-control. Proverbs 25, 28, a person without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. So think of a fortified city, right? Big old walls, no one can get into it. But a person with like self without self-control is like a city that's walls have been caved in. Anyone can go. They are vulnerable. They are without walls. They are defenseless. They reveal their true nature all the time vulnerable to saying and doing regrettable things. There is no self-control. Proverbs 29, 11 says, A fool 
gives full vent to his spirit. A fool gives full vent to his spirit. He lets it all hang out. No control, no filter. Whether it's angerness, or it's anger, or bitterness, or frustration, any emotion, no self-control. A fool does that. Now, again, we said that the wicked is described as a fool. He is a fool because he's not trusting in God. The fool says in his heart there is no God, right? But as believers, we can do foolish things. And when we are letting our anger go out, we are we're acting like a fool. We're acting like we don't know God. All right, so those are the characteristics. What are we going to do about these things? How are we going to attack these things? How are we going to deal with anger in our lives? Here's our application from Proverbs. Number one, stay away from an angry person. Stay away from an angry person. Proverbs 22, 24, and 25, make no friendship with a man given to anger. Given to anger means not person who gets irritated every now and then, but a person, it literally says, a possessor of anger. One who possess, that's, their, that's who they are. Don't go with a wrathful man. Just don't, don't do that. Lest, if you do, here's what's going to happen. You're going to learn his ways. You're going to start being angry too. You're going to say, why am I upset all the time? Because I'm hanging around an angry person. And you're going to entangle yourself in a snare. The least is, the least, this is not really the least, but you're going to sin. And not only might you sin, but if you hang around an angry person long enough in the right situations, they're going to come at you. How many innocent, innocent people have died, literally died, because of a friendship with a person who couldn't control their emotions? Stay away from an angry person. Proverbs 29, 22. A man of wrath stirs up strife. One given to anger causes much transgressions. Proverbs 22 and 10. Drive out a scoffer and strife will go with the scoffer. And quarreling and abuse will cease. Just get rid of them. Now, if they're your kids, there's another issue here, Right? It's called a parenting issue. You can't get rid of your kids. But we're talking about a friend here that you have some choice with. You say, Ron, you don't get it. I'm an evangelist. I hang around these people, and when I hang around people, they change. They see me, and they change. Well, great. Proverbs 19, 19 says something a little differently. A great man of great wrath will pay the penalty, right? And if you deliver them, you hang around them, and you deliver them, and you make excuses for them, and you do all the things you need to for them, you will only have to do it again because that's who they are. They're going to do it again, and you're going to rescue them, and they're going to do it again, and you're going to make excuses for that's just who they are. I'm working on them. They're a slow learner again and again and again. 
Stay away from an angry person. Number two, application, submit continually to the Spirit's control. But the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians chapter 6, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Man, that is just the, just, just the antithesis of anger, isn't it? That's what the Spirit produces. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us be, not become conceited, pride, provoking one another, stirring up strife, envying one another, that boiling anger inside. We, so we don't do that. And on our own, we're going to do it. So what do we do as believers? We submit continually submit ourselves to the Spirit's control. Not just one time a day in the morning devotions, but throughout the day. God, I cannot handle this thing. I know when I go in this situation, I'm going to get upset. I'm, I don't want to say things I'm going to regret. I don't want to do things I'm going to regret. God, I got to have your help here on my own. I will fail, and I'm going to fall every time. Proverbs 16, 32, whoever is slow to anger, Lord, please just help me to be slow to anger. Don't let me jump in like I normally do. Slow me down. And that person is better than the mighty, he who rules his spirit, than one who takes a city. Solomon says if you can rule your spirit, you are mightier than a great conqueror who can go in and take a city. Proverbs 17, uh, 27 and 28 Whoever restrains his words, Lord, please help me by your spirit. Restrain my words. I want to say stuff quick. I want to say stuff that's sharp. Lord, don't let me do that. If you do that, he has knowledge, the person who restrains his words. He who has a cool spirit. I love that. A cool spirit, calming spirit. It's a man of understanding. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. And when he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. had a professor, Howard Hendricks, who used to say, it's better just to remain silent and look foolish than open your mouth and remove all doubt. <laughs> that fool, he just keeps silent, and he think, people think he's intelligent. 29.11, a fool gives full vent to his spirit. Remember, he just lets it all hang out. That's, that's who he is. He's a possessor of anger. But a, but a wise man, this righteous man, he quietly holds it back. He's there. He's got passion. He's a sinner. But saved by grace, the right standing before God, the Holy Spirit lives in him. He says, God, please help me hold it back. I don't want it to go out. Please help me live a life pleasing to you and not let me show the passion inside, the anger. Third application. Don't get dragged into an angry person's issues. If they want to be an angry person, and if they are a possessor of anger, don't get dragged into their issues. Proverbs 3.30, do not contend with a man for no reason when he has done you no harm. If someone comes and says, I'm really irritated at so-and-so, just say, you know what? I'm not irritated at so-and-so, 
and I'm not going to let you drag me in to get irritated with so-and-so. I have no issue. My, I don't have a dog in that fight. That's a bad analogy. I don't have a dog in that race. I don't have a dog in that race. We'll cut out what I just said. We have, I don't have a dog in the race, right? Proverbs 20, verse 3. It is an honor for a man to keep aloof from strife, but every fool will be quarreling. I don't want to get in that. I'm going to keep aloof from that. Proverbs 26, 17. Whoever meddles in a quarrel, not his own, is like one who takes a passing dog by the ears, a wild dog by the ears. How foolish would you be to take a wild dog by the ears? I was in a situation not long ago, and it was an, an irritating situation. Thankfully, I was in it with some uh, true friends, like we talked about last time. And I remember being on the phone with this guy. I remember where I was walking around the house, and he said, you know what? We've got to be careful here. Like the proverb says, don't take a wild dog by the ears. And that was good guidance for us. Because you take a wild dog by the ears, you're going to get bit. You are going to get bit. Number four, stay away from an angry person. Submit continually to the spirit's control. Don't get dragged into an angry person's issues. Pick your emotional engagements prayerfully. Pick your emotional engagements prayerfully. Sometimes we have to get involved in other people's life. Sometimes we have to deal with situations, but pick them prayerfully. Proverbs 19, 11, good sense, good sense, controlled by the Holy Spirit, makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. Sometimes you have to say, God, that, that really bugged me. That irritates me. Is it worth doing anything about it? Is it worth talking to that person? Is it worth getting involved in it? Is it worth another minute of my emotions? You got to help me with this, Lord. Just because you got left out of an email string, you don't have to be offended. Just because someone didn't say hi to you at work, you don't have to be offended. Just because someone had a bad day and popped off something, you know, they may just had a bad day. And so prayerfully determine, prayerfully determine how or if you're going to get emotionally involved in something. That's between you and the Lord. A couple more. Be a calming influencer. Don't amplify a situation. Don't exacerbate a situation. Proverbs 15, 18. Proverbs 15, 18. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, right? But check this out. He who is slow to anger quiets contention. Don't you love a person like that? They kind of walk in a room and they say, it's a soothing, soothing uh, factor in the room. You know what? Yeah, I know it's your table. Let's just think through that. It's a calming influence. Quiets contention. Proverbs 17, 14. The beginning of strife is like letting out water. So beginning of strife is like you have a pitcher of water and you start pouring it out. And the proverb continues, so quit before the quarrel breaks out. Quit 
pouring out the water. Don't get involved in that conversation. Just calm it. Stop it. Maybe you just steer it another direction, or if you need to, just say, you know what? I'm not going to get involved in that. I'm going to stop at least the internal spring before it floods my heart. Proverbs 26, 21, 20 and 21. For the lack of wood, the fire goes out. And where there is no whisperer, no gossiper, quarreling ceases. As charcoal to hot embers and wood to the fire, so is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. For the lack of wood, the fire goes out. So when you stop the... When you stop the string of emails, when you stop responding on Facebook, when you stop the text messaging back and forth, the fire goes out. When you quit telling other people about it, when you tell other people how irritated you are, when there's no whisperer, the quarreling ceases. It's charcoal to hot embers, wood to the fire, so is a quarrelsome man to kindling strife. And then here's a beautiful passage, Proverbs 10, 12. Hatred stirs up strife. That's just what happens. But what? Say this one with me. But love covers all offenses. One more time. But love covers all offenses. I was kidding. This is the last time. You ready? But love covers all offenses. Just think about that. Kills the quarreling. Covers all offenses. It's the fruit of the Spirit. One more. If you have an anger issue and you know it, or if you've been told it, get Christian counseling. Get help before you do something or say something you're going to regret. Proverbs 24, 6 says this, for by wise guidance, you can wage your war. I love that, don't you? By wise guidance, when you have some help, when you have a counselor, a good Christian counselor, good Christian professional counselor, you can wage your war. God, I got an anger issue. I'm going to wage my war against it. Can't do it on my own. I got to have your spirit guiding me through this. And I'm going to get some people to come around or a, a person, a counselor to come around and give me guidance to wage this war. In abundance of counselors, there's great victory. But you see, you got to admit you have an issue, right? Before you seek help. And a lot of people don't like to do that because that goes back to that father of anger. And what's that? Pride. And then I'd have to say I was weak. And then I'd have to say I can't handle this on my own. And then I'd have to say I got a problem. But if you got a problem, and we all do, we need people to come around us and help them out to wage our war against the problem. So in 336 A.D., Alexander took over the throne when his father, Philip, was assassinated. Within two years, Alexander, 20 years old, 20 years old, when he was 22, he embarked on a campaign of world conquest. 
He only had 30,000 foot soldiers to begin with, 5,000 cavalrymen, but man, his army was efficient. In his first engagement, he routed the Persians. He was outnumbered 13 to 1. 13 to 1, and he routed the Persians, and that's when they started calling him what? Alexander the Great. Eight-year campaign, Alexander the Great conquered the known world. Right beside Alexander was a man named Clytus. Clytus was a lifelong friend. Clytus was a general in his army, and there was a time when Clytus saved Alexander's life. There are stories that are told, maybe they're more legend now than, than real, but there are stories that told that when he was fighting the Persians, there was a big Persian who had a hammer that was coming down on Alexander's head, and right in mid-strike, Clytus whacked off the guy's arm. Saved Alexander's life. He's a lifelong friend. One day, maybe with a bit too much alcohol in the room, Alexander had his men together, and Clytus and Alexander got in a big argument. Clytus started accusing Alexander of things. Alexander didn't appreciate it. It started getting heated. Some men tried to get Clytus out of the room. At one point, it says, they say that Alexander picked up an apple and threw it at Clytus. They tried to get him out of the room. They got him out of the room one time. Clytus was so mad, he came back in the room. And the argument continued to go. After a while, in a fit of rage, Alexander took up a spear and he threw it, meaning to scare Clytus, but missed and struck Clytus right here and killed him. And it's said that Alexander regretted that until the day he died. He grieved the death of his friend. Alexander the Great could conquer the world. Conquer the world. He just couldn't conquer his heart. When by the Holy Spirit, our emotion of anger and passion is controlled, then we can do some great things, right? Slavery has been stopped because of William Wilberforce who said, I've got a passion to stop that. That is injustice. That's wrong. I'm going to do something about it. Babies have been saved by people who say that's wrong. I'm going to do something. I'm going to do it the right way. I'm going to do something about it. Anger is a God-giving emotion that doesn't always have to lead to sin. We can do things great for God. But when anger controls us, man, it is a dangerous and sinful emotion. Expressed anger leads to physical harm, emotional pain, domestic abuse, even murder. Suppressed anger will eat you from the inside out. Remember what that theologian said? The chief drawback to anger is that you are wolfing it down yourself. The skeleton at the feast is you. So we want to be those who use our passion to do great things for God. To follow hard after him. We're going to hand off to uh, the campuses. 
And here at the South Hills, uh, we're going to sing the song we sang last week. Lord, I need you. Every hour, I need you. And again, last week we talked about um, sexuality. And this week, anger. And we need the Lord to guide us and calm us and corral this emotion within us. So let this be our prayer as we stand together and sing.